Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire podcast network as well as the HubSpot podcast network. Now, the HubSpot podcast network has incredible shows like The Hustle Daily. It's hosted by Zachary Crockett, Jacob Cohen, Rob Litterst, and Juliet Bennett Ryla. Now, The Hustle Daily brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business, tech, and news. And it happens daily. So if you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, and some of these topics are interesting to you, then you're going to love the Hustle Daily. Uh, topics like Amazon's grocery strategy, the rise of the ugly shoe economy, is AI the secret to love, and America's sleep deficit problem. So if these are topics you want to get into and you love hearing up-to-date content whenever you wake up in the morning, go listen to The Hustle Daily wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Yag Ganesh. He is an award-winning marketer, author, podcaster, and TEDx speaker. He is recognized by the World Marketing Congress as one of the marketing mavericks in association with the World Federation of Marketing Professionals. He is the director of marketing at Avoma. He works with early stage companies, uh, helping them build their narrative and crafting their category through the Google for Startups initiative called the Startup Weekend. He is amongst the top 100 global MarTech influencers. He's also a best-selling author of eight books. He is the host of the ABM Conversations podcast. That podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. It features some of the most notable names in marketing, such as Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Rand Fishkin, and many more. He speaks internationally at business forums such as TEDx, Performance Marketing Moscow, uh, Chamber of Commerce, Netherlands, the World Marketing Congress, to name a few, as well as academic institutions such as uh, the IITs, Saxon University of Applied Sciences, and many more. We spoke about his origin story, how he started writing books. That was sort of the uh, initial version of his personal brand. Um, of course, he's written eight books now, so he started writing books. He put out a podcast. We spoke about his experience starting and building everything that he's done in his career. So we spoke about uh, some lessons that he's learned writing books, how to write the best books, some lessons that he, you know, he would impart on somebody who wants to write their first book. Also, he had Seth Godin on his podcast, a uh, notable author. Seth Godin's written a ton of books, so some lessons that he learned from Seth Godin on writing as well. Then we pivoted. We spoke about podcasts, how he started his podcast, how he grew it into a notable podcast, how he was able to attract some of the incredible names like Seth Godin, like Guy Kawasaki, like Rand Fishkin onto his show. Uh, also, his research process. He has a very intricate and detailed 
research process so that he pulls out the best content from his guests when they do get on the show. So he's going to walk through his research process. It's an extensive research process that he does before every single podcast recording. And lastly, we spoke about Avoma. Now, Avoma is a company where he's the director of marketing. He's building it from the ground up. He was the first marketer. Avoma is a conversation intelligence tool. We're going to speak about conversation intelligence, why it's important, why it helps you create uh, an automatic feedback loop that can help your sales team, your marketing team, your product team, literally your entire company get real-time or asynchronous rather feedback from your customer without needing to get it in real time on a call. So how do we use AI? How do we use tools, technology to get that feedback loop, that feedback mechanism that can make every component of the business work better and uh, w and be more optimized and efficient? We need that feedback tool. That's what Avoma does through conversation intelligence. And he's going to walk through why conversation intelligence is one of the future tools of marketing where we have to be able to use it, but also how to differentiate yourself as you take a new product to market. Because when he took Avoma to market, when he was the first marketing hire, uh, this is still blue ocean. This is not something that is the norm in every organization. So some strategies to make some noise and to secure your first customers when you are selling a blue ocean product. So we have some book writing lessons. We have some podcast. Uh, we have some podcast lessons. We have some conversation intelligence and digital marketing lessons. So Yag went into everything. Let's go right into it. This is Yag Ganesh. He is uh, director of marketing at Avoma. He is a speaker. He is a writer. He is a podcaster. He's done it all. Let's go. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Scott. Uh, you know, it's it's great to share my story here because when I look back at some of the things that I've done, you know, a lot of things have happened purely because of serendipity. Now, when I look back and if I have to tell one thing as to how things happened in my life, it has been a series of eliminations. I've tried out things and I've failed at so many things. Again, I've failed at so many things, tried new things and finally landed on things that works for me. To give you an example, I was in my uh, you know later half of my school and uh, everybody typically in India are like, hey, get into engineering, get into engineering. And uh, I was not interested in that. And uh, I told my parents very clearly that, hey, don't waste money there. Uh, and uh, even if I'm going to invest myself, I'm not going to waste money there because at the end of four years, if I'm not going to build a career in something that I'm interested, I'm going to terribly fail. And I realized this during my um, school days because, you know, I took up uh, computer science and uh, I took up math and it troubled me, you know, literally troubled me. I realized that um, this is not where I want to be. And so I finally got into uh, computer science. I did my bachelor's in computer science for three years. And um, at towards the end of my uh, third year, I realized that I'm not going to build a career in coding because... If anything, you know, I'm not able to think and write a program of my own. Um, I might probably uh, memorize a few things and do a few things, uh, write it. But if it's not going to be, if I'm not understanding that, if that's not coming out, then that's not where my career needs to be. And then I figure out what do I do? And um, funnily, though I consider myself an introvert, I like to get to know people. I like to talk to people and, uh, you know, I like to build relationships and um, so I thought, hey, let me try my hands at management, you know, who knows? And um, took up some courses and then uh, gave my uh, 
you know, uh, give my mat, which is your equivalent of the entrance exam here for your MBA. And uh, luck would have it, I had a very decent score and got into a good business school. And um, again, I did not have an idea what should I specialize in. And then um, at the end of my first year, I was an intern at an, um, you know, at a insurance company. And I was walking through the remote parts of the country, like 15 kilometers a day. And uh, in the scorching heat of that part of the country. And um, to do to do like a to to do um, like insurance, like you were meeting with clients or why were you why were you outside so much? (laughs) You were doing adjusting or what? Yeah. So my job there was uh, to, you know, appoint insurance agents who would sell insurance for the company. So I had to go and identify uh, the people in those regions who were um, very influential people. This was back in, uh, you know, 2007. And uh, influencer marketing was not a thing. <laughs> no, so you were time. just recruiting salespeople. You were recruiting yeah, was, salespeople, yeah? Yeah, yeah. For example, oh, I'll tell you a story tough. of how I used to go and find people. You know, in the remotest parts of the country, I used to find a small tea shop on the roadside. And I used to go um, get a cup of tea for myself, sit down, and uh, quietly sip my tea and watch what people are talking. And uh, from that, I could get some names as to who are the postmasters in that area, who are the school headmasters in that area. Because if I directly go and ask who is the headmaster, people will give me a you know staring look like who is this guy? Why is this guy coming in and asking? Uh, you know, he's an unknown person in this village. So I used to get the names, and while I was paying my bills at the store, I used to subtly ask the name of the person and said, "Hey, I have come here to visit this particular person. How do I get to his place?" And then people would tell me, and then I I used to go meet and convince them, and uh, you know, finally they used to become uh, advisors for that particular insurance company. So that was the process. Then going back to the college again, I realized that, hey, this is fun. I can get to know people and uh, maybe, you know, I should specialize in marketing. And things started and I you first just, got my... You just pivoted again. You just pivoted again. You're like, let me go into management. And then you go in, let me go into marketing. And you just like, I see what you're saying when you first when you first started like elimination. You elimination. try things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, okay. And, and then it started. And, uh, you know, when I came in and... Um, at the end of my MBA, I got a job uh, in a logistics company in Dubai. And uh, as, again, uh, my bad luck would have it, uh, it was peak recession in 2008. Uh, before even I could join the company, my job was called off and I didn't know what to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I started my own marketing agency. Uh, I thought, okay, I'm young, uh, you know, let me try whatever I can, you know? So I started my agency, ran it for about two years did all possible mistakes that one could um, you know i did not know the difference between capex and opex and i still had uh, venture uh, you know partnerships jvs with uh, companies in luxembourg belgium uh, and uh, got screwed over by a lot of clients who didn't pay on time who never paid and all of that and uh, after 2 years i thought enough let me um, get back to a full time role at that point you know i was also about to get married so i needed a stable pay um, and that happened. I joined a company called SolarWinds based out of Texas. You know, I was working remote and uh, back from the day I was like, you know, remote work is not new to me. So I've been uh, consistently into remote work from that time. And then I started writing books. Uh, one fine day I thought, hey, uh, you know, I, I used to read a lot of books and my first book was actually a fiction book. You know, it was a book called Taken Already, um, which was a romantic thriller. And from really? there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but okay, so let me just clarify. So when you started writing books, like this is, 
like when I look at when I look at Yag like right now, you have like a, a strong personal brand. You have your own website. You you've and you and you've done all these things that seem like personal branding items. And I don't mean to turn this into like a personal brand chat, but you didn't actually go into writing books on purpose to augment your your you know to sell yourself as this marketing uh, guru. This was not the goal. Absolutely it was just a not. Passion. Absolutely okay. not. In fact, I have my own uh, gripe about personal marketing. I I'm in personal branding. A lot of yeah. people, the things that they do in the name of personal branding is a bit annoying. <laughs> it it's not even you know personal branding to say. So yeah, going back to the part, I I did my uh, you know I wrote my first book, and to my surprise, uh, there were about eight hundred to nine hundred people who actually paid and bought that book, and I was like, wow. This is amazing, and then uh, in the meantime, I also wanted to start um, speaking in the public. So I went to my business school. I asked my, uh, you know, professor that I would like to do a guest session, and they were gracious enough, and they said, "Hey, give it a try," and um, you know, it happened. And from there on, I quickly realized that talking to this audience was not my core because you know people are still studying, and I was more talking about things at work. and how you could do certain things you know uh, the mistakes that i learned from and all of that so i thought i need to pivot to a business audience and the moment i started getting invited to speaking at different conferences and all of that my publisher gave me a call he was like hey yag if you're going to write uh, fiction books again i'm going to charge you double but on the contrary if you write a marketing book i'll publish you for free and i was like this is amazing but uh, you know then i was like can i even do this because i don't consider myself an expert can i write books and he was like just go give it a try your first book is going to be bad but by the time you figure your figure your things out you will be amazing i gave it a shot my first marketing book was called is your marketing in sync or sinking you know <laughs> because that was the title it's a good title it's it's, yeah. it's not a bad title <laughs> and there was also the dilemma that i was in and from there i yeah. consistently started writing marketing books you know i my career started becoming more focused towards marketing stuff i was working only specifically for martech products and then slowly and steadily things fell in place and at some point i started a linkedin show called coffee conversations it was a 5 minute linkedin show that i posted every morning um and uh, it took off and then a lot of people uh, came back to me and they said hey yag you should you know do a little more a detailed version of this maybe start a podcast and um in uh, 2019 um december i started the podcast i had no clue what is a dynamic mic what is a condenser mic you know what is what i just had a topic in my mind i went to a nearby studio and i thought let's record this first episode and then to look back now having uh, having me you don't know, coming to think that i've done about 115 episodes now and i've had people like said gordon gai kawasaki david cancel uh ran fishkin you name it all the stalwarts of marketing have been on the show it's it's so humbling and so rewarding but the fun part is not even one day i tried to uh, reach out to these people thinking that hey if i have these guys i'll get more downloads or more listens that was never the thought process because after every episode you know people used to come back and uh, give me a very detailed dm on my linkedin and it would be like yag i completely disagree with what this person said because of this 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 or i completely agree with this and they used to write such detailed posts and i realized people are so invested in this you know they are coming back and uh, which showing, is a good thing positive yeah, or is, negative they're invested yeah, right yeah exactly yeah. you know they are giving us so much of time and uh, which means whatever i do i make sure that 
any guest that I bring in, it needs to make sure that I'm giving value to these people who trust me. You know, I need to focus on a single topic and go as deep as possible because they come in for the promise of the topic. And if I don't deliver on that, it's on me. So I started to look out and reach out to people based on specific topics. And in that virtue, all these things happen. And uh, today, you know, the show is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. So very happy about that yeah. as well. So it's it's done okay. It's it's gone it's gone in the right direction. You didn't you didn't uh, you didn't eliminate this one. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's gone well. Um. So tell me. So let's let's. Uh, so that's sort of that's sort of your your personal brand. And I again I apologize for using the word personal no problem. brand, but that's your that's your that's you what you've created on. Uh, that's what Yags created the books, the podcast. Now you speak uh, globally. Uh, I know you did like a TED talk as well. Um. Now walk me through like. When you when you do these things, why did you not double down on the personal brand so that you could just monetize that and 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 that could be your full time thing? Because you still work, like you yeah. still you still you still act as as a marketing executive within organizations. And I ask this because I love understanding your perspective on this because I do I do the same thing. So why did why did you uh, choose to still be an operator in a company? Um, how do you balance that? What's the time management? Because I, I want people to look at you and I want people to say, okay, so he is still doing, and I want you to talk about what you're actually doing for your work, but he's still doing this. What's my excuse for not starting this thing that is, you know, by most definitions successful, the book, the speaking, the podcast, um, while still being an operator in a company. So uh, how do you manage this? And, and also, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> right. So, see, first of all, the reason why I have not singularly focused on becoming a personal brand or, you know, monetizing all of these things. Um, yeah, monetization can happen uh, in some ways on the side. Like, say, for example, the books do pay me and, uh, you know, occasionally I also get sponsors for the podcast show and, um, you know, that also pays me. But ultimately, the way I look at it is um, I don't look at myself as a personal brand, you know. At the end of the day, um, when people ask me, are you a professional speaker? I say no. You know, because I, I'm a marketer and uh, my skills primarily are marketing and that skill comes purely from the things that I do in my full-time job. And some of the things that I do as part of my, um, say, personal projects, which can be my book, which can be my podcast or the speaking and all of that, you know, there are learnings from this, which I can take to my full-time work and there are learnings from that I can bring into this. So that exchange or what I do on the side here is more for me as my ground for experimentation. There are certain times where you have your own things and, and the scope uh, for experimenting a lot is high here. And uh, there is also room for making a lot of mistakes. There is always this balance between making mistakes and uh, making blunders. So here you can give it a shot. If something goes terribly wrong here, that's still fine, but you can go and give it a try. So that is what I do. And what I do right now full time is I work for a company called Avoma, uh, which is based out of, uh, you know, California. Right now we are pretty much distributed all around the world, um, the team here. So the company is into conversation intelligence. I work as the director of marketing for the company. I started out in April, 2021. Uh, and 
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success that's s-u-c-c-e-s-s to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with belay thank you so much indeed for sponsoring success story for all business leaders out there indeed is a lifesaver see we're always driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I started out as a one-person marketing team. And from there, uh, pretty much did everything from content to product marketing to performance to brand and pretty much everything. And then we got one person in performance marketing full-time. Now we have one more who has joined content. So the team is consistently growing. Right now, we are also in a space where in December, we raised our Series A. And uh, we are on a super growth path, which means... It also requires a lot of my attention and a lot of my time because in this phase, yeah. you know, you require to contribute a lot. But because you have some sort of, uh, you know, base in the form of your book or in the form of your podcast, it also contributes to your work. To give you an example, you know, I when I started the comp- when I started uh, out in this job, what happened was um, the name Avoma for this company, right? You know, uh, the search volume for the brand name Avoma was somewhere between zero to ten. And now when I look at almost a year after that, it is close to 2000. So you see that the search volume of this brand alone, as an example, if I can give you that as a metric, it has increased a lot purely either because some of us are more active on LinkedIn. We start talking about it. We produce videos and somewhere, you know, if you have connections and people trust you, they also look into 
what this guy is working you know what is the brand that this person is working for and uh, if they go and try it out if they like it they refer to more people and that increases so everything contributes to each other but at the end of the day i understand that my core is marketing i want to be known primarily as a marketer and that is what puts food on my table to be honest and everything is uh, everything that i do apart from that is an evolution from the base what i call as work you know this this is primary for me and the, this is the experience from my work goes into the books into my podcasts and all the other things all right that makes sense um i want to pull a few things out of this because i think there's a few different directions we could take it so there's like book writing lessons there's podcast lessons and then there's also like just conversational intelligence which is like a very smart tactical forward-thinking marketing discussion but first um i am curious about a few things this is how i'm going to structure it so yeah. i'm going to do i'm going to do book lessons uh featuring one of your podcast guests because i'm pretty sure you had an interesting conversation with him and then we can go into like podcast lessons and and why what i'm talking about is you wrote uh how many books total eight. uh eight books total and then you spoke to seth godin who's yeah. like he's written a, a, an incredible amount of marketing books so um first of all what have you learned personally from uh writing books and then what was the most important thing that you took from a conversation with seth godin that you're going to start using for maybe your framework or, or your process for writing? Right. So first question, what did I learn from my writing books is that, um, you know, most people think uh, writing a book is, is a difficult thing. Actually, it is not. You know, you can, and if you look at my style of working, um, I am not a very structural person if you, uh, if you think about it. My first book, I just randomly started writing. I did not even think that I'm going to publish it. Yes, there was um, a corner of me that told me that, hey, I want to publish this book. And that's why I kept writing on a daily basis. Uh, but I was still, um, you know, rambling on my laptop. And uh, at some point, I realized that, hey, there are about 150 pages now. Let me go back and read how it feels. And uh, I shared the copy with my wife. And I said, hey, uh, take a read and tell me what you feel. And she was like, yeah, you should go ahead and publish it. And so I went about it. And my biggest takeaway, I would say, is that after eight books, now I would say it's important to think about what is that singular value that you want to communicate through your book. Um, it could be a story or it could be a framework or it could be, uh, you know, something that people can take away. And one thing that I've done with my books is I've kept most of my books very short because as I told you, even from my podcast and everything, you know, a lot of things that I do. Um, also come from my frustration of experiencing those things and I want to do the opposite of that. So, uh, for example, when I read books, you know, if I read 20 pages and if I feel that the next 200 pages is going to be saying the same thing with different examples, I'm not going to read any further. So I wanted to make sure that I keep things crisp and I don't repeat too much. But at the same time, it's not like I just say it once. You make it so actionable. You make it so clear that people can take that framework and use it for their work. And then from there, you can expand that into, uh, say, uh, some podcast talks or you can uh, extend it to your uh, speaking or you can expand, it, uh, I know, expand that into your training programs or all of that. Then that works. And from there, going back to Seth Gordon, you know, again, there is, I'm so happy to talk about this because at the outset, it looks like, yeah, you had uh, Seth Gordon on the show. But the secret or the reality of all of this is that the very first time I reached out to Seth Godin for something was way back in 2009. And uh, I kept reaching out to him for one thing or the other. 
and finally i got him on the show in 2021 so you know it was been a, it has been a persistence of 11 years and 11 finally... <laughs> 11 years but he's he's a popular he's a popular marketer he's a popular yeah. marketer for yeah, sure yeah absolutely yeah and and you know if i have to take one thing from said you know as you asked um more than anything about his writing um as a person he's a wonderful wonderful human being and um you know I, the reason why i have so much of respect is i've reached out to so many people and pretty much everyone that i've reached out to have uh, virtual assistants assistants you know you never talk to them directly and they are the ones who are booking but in sate's case you know being who he is he will reply to every single email that he gets he might say no that's fine it might be a one or two liner but he politely say that and he would be the person who is responding and uh, that to me you know i was like this is how i need to be you know uh wherever you go in your life you need to be grounded and all of his examples all of his stories come from real life you know every single thing that he says is from first principles when you hear him talk about something there is no one jargon that you would hear in that sentence if it's a third grader who's listening to what he's saying will still get it if it's a granny still she's going to get it so that simplicity is something that i would like to uh, take away uh, from that conversation and implement it in everything that i do very smart okay so let's talk about very very good good uh, and and seth godin just seems like um a very kind uh, and smart individual so i i appreciate that too um so let's talk about let's talk about the podcast and let's talk about you jumping into this cuz you've jumped into a lot of things and i think that it seems like everybody is trying to start a podcast because it's a, in my opinion it's and i think a lot of people believe that it's a great way to build an audience to communicate a message especially more complicated messages that it's harder to just capture in short form content podcasts give you that format that allow you to have really candid honest you know discussions about very complex topics like business and what not so i i'm always you know i'm all personally i'm always evangelizing that you should be starting a podcast for your business it's a great content marketing tool you can definitely start a podcast for yourself and it seems like more and more people are 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 getting on board so what are some what are some lessons that you've learned as you started your show as you've grown it obviously now successfully and it can be in terms of uh marketing it growing the actual audience uh all the way through to maybe getting guests you mentioned you tried to get Seth Godin on your show for 11 years how did you finally land him right so about the podcast um you know as i told you the podcast started out of my frustration because you know when i listen to a show if uh, i don't get value out of it you know after again value is one word that is so commonly used and so commonly also misused everybody says deliver value but nobody tells you what actually value is mm-hmm. right so to me anybody listening to a show what i mean by value here is that somebody gives you 45 minutes to 1 hour of their time and uh, if you don't deliver something that is useful to them that is like say um, in my audience i very clearly see that these are saas marketers and sales people with at least 7 plus years of experience from around the world and more than 50% of my listeners actually come from the us and if that's the case you know i need to make sure that uh, when i'm talking about a particular topic i need to speak in that flavor you know i right. cannot talk about what is content marketing for example but instead i can talk about hey uh, if you're doing content marketing distribution is one of the biggest problems that a lot of people don't get so how do you do distribution now there are always going to be some topics where uh, you might have some expertise that you can talk about 
and then there are going to be other topics where you're not the expert in but you can go and reach out to the best person who can speak about that particular topic in this case of uh, content distribution i reached out to ross simons and i was like uh, ross you know i think you are the best person to talk about this can you come on the show and he was gracious enough to say yes and then this is your opportunity wherein instead of going in and winging it you go in prepared with the mindset that hey these are the questions that you want him to answer again the beauty is that it's not like i ask a question wait for an answer ask the next question it needs to be a conversation but at yeah. the same time it needs to be focused in such a manner that somebody who is listening to it should not feel like it's going in all directions at the end of that 45 minutes they need to have a blueprint as to how they can go about distributing their content so that is what uh, you know i structured in and that's what i focused on and starting from the first episode to the 50th episode it's obviously there's a lot of difference it doesn't sound the same you know there have been improvements in terms of the quality of mic that i've used or the way i've improved myself as uh, as a speaker and uh, in the way i prepared also right so you there are going to be situations where over a period of time you become a better host you you uh, pick up this moments as to how to react in certain moments and uh, have that good conversation and then i introduced something called rapid fire which came in probably around the 30th or 40th episode uh, it was not there from the very beginning and all of these things happen and going back to the question about set uh, how i landed again you know uh, it's it's about probably persistence and it was a simple email what happened was um or i by then i think i probably had about 60 or 70 episodes or probably even 80 episodes done i guess so i reached out to him i uh, it was a simple email where i said uh, say that i think i've troubled you so many times uh, let this be uh, one more email from me uh, but um, you know i'm reaching out to you this time for uh, inviting you to be a guest on my show i've already had uh, people like uh, guy kawasaki david cancel and i gave him uh, three four names that he might recognize and then i said if there is one thing that is lacking on my show is your presence and uh, would you like to be on the show and um, you know in the next 5 minutes i got a reply he said here's my calendar i was like wow <laughs> so that very was good. that very, was so you that. built so you built the base you built the base and then persistence and then a little bit of social proof like sort of peppered onto yeah. that and that's yeah. that's what got it done okay good um and and also a question on on your your because you mentioned you go very deep with guests to pull yeah. out the most amount of value possible which i think is very smart especially especially for something where you're trying to teach something over in a in a show so how do you how do you do your re what's your research process how do you structure your questions so that you know because perhaps you're not the expert in that particular yeah. topic so how do you make sure that you pull out the best possible information from those guests so that it's actually valuable that's a brilliant question you know uh the way it happens is again the difference between a good podcast episode and a bad podcast episode is purely on the host that's what i believe because it's about the questions that you ask because when somebody comes in yes there are also going to be somebody who are going to answer answer you in a tweet format maybe one or two lines and then there are also going to be people who are going to uh, give you a half an hour answer for a single question you need to have the balance but at the same time the beauty is that you bring in your curiosity you know when you do know things you are naturally going to have a lot of questions now how to do something and then you also do some research about this particular person i generally take at least 2 days to go back and do my research about a particular person i at least listen to 10 of their episodes um, you know wherever they have spoken and 10? um yeah at least 10 <laughs> oh yes oh my god man 
<laughs> You're putting me to shame. That's a lot of time. Good for you. Good for you. You're a better podcaster than me. I try and do no, research. The, the I don't do I, 10 episodes. Again, so. it, and again, it's not like I sit down and listen. Uh, what I do yeah. is, uh, you know, every time I'm going on a jog, uh, yeah. I'm listening to some of these shows. And uh, so that gives me insights. Uh, the idea is not to ask the same set of questions that they've been asked in 10 different shows. And at the same time, you know, stick to the topic. But when you hear some of these episodes, you get an insight into what these guys have gone through, you know, some of their case studies or, uh, you know, something that they touch upon and you can pick up something from that. So when I'm running, I hear something and I was like, this is interesting. I just stop, make a note right there uh, and then, you know, uh, continue running. So come back, I look at it and implement that. Now, that is one part. Second, I go and look at uh, whatever they have written or uh, what are the different places that they have spoken or what have, what have they accomplished uh, and is there something that is interesting to what I'm trying to get through this podcast. You know, if if it's about distribution of content, I'm looking at does this person have a framework or, uh, um, you know, I'm looking at, okay, well, how has this person distributed their content and what are they doing? So when you look at those things, you get a set of things that you want to learn. And because you are not the best person at that, it makes you all the more curious and wanting to learn. And when you show that energy, you show that curiosity, you know, that also gets the other person going because it's a very honest conversation. Uh, and when I think about it, here, here's the here's the mindset that I go in with. Say, for example, be it a Seth Gordon or uh, Rand Fishkin or Guy Kawasaki. Now, I cannot hire these people for an hour to coach me on something. That is super expensive, unthinkable. But on the contrary, when they've given you one hour of their time, you know, the one way that you can show them the respect that you have for them is by going in prepared and asking them the right questions and showing them that you value their time. And by doing that, you also get good answers and you can translate that value to your listeners. So that's the sequence that I think about. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder and smarter. With intuitive visual workflows and bot builders, you can create scalable automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat so your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. Amazing. Um, now, one thing, I had a question. I just slipped my mind, actually. What was I going to say? I was going to say, oh, one thing that you've brought up repeatedly that I thought was very interesting as well. This is turning into like more of like a, a, a podcasting masterclass episode, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I think it's useful. Um, you, you always highlight exactly who your listener is. Yeah. And 
I feel like that is something that's coming from your marketing brain because you've figured out your, you know, your buyer personas and your ideal customer profiles and all your avatars and whatnot. And that's like a very marketing, that's a, it's a very analytical way to approach when you're selling a product. But speak to me about your process for, for that. What, so for somebody who maybe uh, is not coming from marketing uh, and they do want to start a podcast, why did you do that? How did you define who it is? How did you really figure out who's your, who, who your listener is and what is the importance of that? Right. So uh, all of these things happened on its own. Uh, you know, I cannot take credit that uh, from day one I decided this because when I started out, uh, as I told you, it started from Coffee Conversations, which was a five minute video to this. So people asked for it, you know, people who were following me on LinkedIn, they were like, hey, uh, why didn't you start a specific show where you can go deeper? And then I asked them, what topic do you think I should speak about? And they were like, let's, you know, talk about ABM. And the first few episodes were very specifically focused on ABM. And obviously, when you're talking about ABM, then uh, the listeners are going to be slightly senior marketers because, you know, um, naturally, ABM is something that um, salespeople and marketers with some years of experience have implemented predominantly at uh, mid-market and uh, enterprise kind of companies. And then slowly, what happened was over a period of time, I started getting more of um, SaaS SMB listeners. And... Uh, they came back, uh, as I told you, they used to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn and DM me about uh, what topics that they would like to, um, you know, listen about or, you know, hey, uh, can you talk specifically about the MarTech landscape or can you talk specifically about, uh, you know, go-to-market strategy, so on and so forth. And then I used to go and figure out who's the best person who can, who I can reach out to, who can go deep on this. Like, say, when I went to David Cancel, it was about how to, um, you know, how to build a product company uh, from scratch in a way where, um, because, you know, one thing that Drift did beautifully uh, was that Intercom was already into existence for quite some time. They were already a unicorn by the time Drift came in. But still, you know, they took a different path and built a category for themselves. So I had that story that I could request uh, DC to come and speak about. So when I had topics like this, then slowly I started seeing a pattern. I, I, used, uh, I used a tool called Chartable where, uh, you know, I can go back and see what is the age group of people uh, that listen to my show and, uh, you know, what are, what are the industries that these people come from. And once I look at this data and also start marrying with the people that uh, spread my show on LinkedIn to their particular groups and communities, slowly I started figuring out that, hey, uh, let me not worry about whether I'm getting 1,000 downloads, 10,000 downloads and whatnot, because that is not what I optimized for. I was looking at, hey, the 10 or 20 people who are, um, you know, taking my show to their community, uh, do I give them the kind of episodes that they would be happy to, uh, you know, wear on their sleeves and take it uh, to other people? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, at, as an experiment, I tried something, you know, uh, about six months back, I created a t-shirt called, uh, um, you know, Rapid Fire, which was part of my uh, show as you as you were there the last time. Yes. <laughs> and it was it said Rapid Fire section and uh, it said welcome to Rapid Fire section or something like that. And um, in the corner, there was one ABM Conversations podcast and I put it out on LinkedIn saying that I'm trying out a merchandise and I was surprised that actually, you know, 15 or 20 people actually bought it. And really, then well, that, shows, in, in the that next, shows a good community. Right. Yeah. And and the next day I was surprised that these people posted uh these on LinkedIn. Like people were uh posting these pictures doing like this and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And slowly and steadily I realized that yeah, there are people who are very serious about it and um I don't mind the numbers. 
I never even one day optimized for the number of downloads. And even today, I don't optimize for the numbers. If it happens, it happens. But at the end of the day, I want people to um, stick to the show because they like the content and it can go from there. So yeah, if you ask me, how did I grow? That is one area that I still struggle. Yeah, I am probably still uh, figuring out ways to grow it. Yes, we do have about 30,000 or 35,000 downloads per month right now. But it has been, you know, it it is kind of reaching some sort of stagnancy, if I could say. But yeah, growth is not still my expertise about podcasts. I'm still figuring that out. But you are so. It, but I, I actually believe, I actually believe that what you're doing will will lead to growth in the long term. But it'll be a much healthier community than somebody that just uh, sort of tries to get growth at all costs. And and I think that that's probably something that will probably benefit you. Uh, and and candidly, the community that you've built. Uh, like the, the business opportunity that comes out of a community that's been built around a hyper-targeted, very specific uh, message, which is your podcast is, is, is an incredible asset. That's something that depends on how you want to monetize in the future, right? But you just even found out with merch that people are responsive to buying yeah. your t-shirts. And you know, so that's <laughs> like, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Um, okay, so that's that's sort of just some lessons. And I think that's a smart... That's a smart lesson for somebody who wants to start a show uh, because I do believe that the way that you're doing it is the way that it should be done. And I think that that's more like you're optimizing for that long-term success versus short-term yeah. gain where you're just all over the... And I actually, I, you know, candidly, I didn't, I wasn't as smart about starting my show as you. And that's something that I, I, I don't regret because everything is a learning experience, but I do yeah. wish at some points I had hyper-targeted or sort of had found my focus earlier on. Um, so I, I like the I, phrase that you said about the yeah. long-term thing, right? So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Naval Ravikant and, uh, you know, he often talks yeah. about play long-term games with long-term people. So that is something that is drilled into my head. I try to do that every single time. He's a, he's a smart man. He's a very smart man. So that's a good thing. I think that's a good, that's a very good quote. It's a very good life lesson. Um, so let's talk about, so let's talk about what you're working in and on now. Uh, because I also think that's very interesting, and it is a my audience is also a very business focused audience. So um, you've marketed across very you, you've participated in and executed uh, on, in various types of marketing, but right now you're in in conversational uh, uh, intelligence. Conversational intelligence, yeah. So explain explain what that is. Where does this fit in a digital marketer's playbook? What is it used for? What is it not used for? Um, I'd love to because I've never actually I don't think I've had anybody on the show that works in conversational intelligence. So this is a, right. this is another good topic. Okay, so let's go yeah, into absolutely, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So conversational intelligence as such, you know, it's it's a it's it's a domain that has grown over the last 5 years or so. And um, you know, you might have heard of players like Gong and Chorus and all these people yeah. into the space. So um so here's here's the beauty of the space, you know. Um there are multiple ways to look at it. So if you look at a company like Gong and Chorus, what they do or what they look at is they look at conversation intelligence from the perspective of sales. So it's predominantly helping salespeople and it's useful for say, uh, you know, coaching their sales reps or um, like say a typical VP of sales would uh, listen to the calls of a rep and uh, they would probably help them improve in certain areas or, uh, you know, they can also listen to the calls of other peer reps and learn, um, you know, how they are handling the objections and how they could do better and all of that. Now, the way we at Oma look at it is uh, we look at this from a horizontal perspective. We think that conversation intelligence per se is the art of actually, you know, you, you, can, you can look at it from a horizontal manner and identify that pretty much any function within an organization 
could see value from that. So let me give you a, a few examples. Let's say I, as a marketer, you know, um, like I listen to a podcast, if I'm listening to the conversation between my AE and a prospect or say between a customer and my customer success or support executive. And from that conversation, you know, I can understand the kind of questions that these people are asking. And uh, then the content that I create can come from truly understanding what my customer wants and what they are looking for, rather than deriving my topics out of thin air or just because, you know, a particular keyword has a lot of search volume. This actually makes more sense. Or let's say, for example, I look into a dashboard and I realize that, um, hey, you know, these are the two competitors that my customers compare me the most with. So when I start preparing my battle card, you know, I can start with those two instead of saying that, hey, I compete with the best in the industry and these are my competitors. No, you really hear who your customers are comparing with and that is where it actually comes from. Similarly, for say a product manager, the way they can use this is they can look at these um, some of these conversations and dashboards and realize that, hey, these are the five features that the customers have been consistently asking for. So let me prioritize those things on my roadmap, you know. And similarly, some, uh, you know, there is the other aspect, the other use case where I can do is I can, let's say I'm talking to you right now. And uh, let's say if this is a, if this is a sales call and I want to say that, hey, um, you know, Scott compared me with these three companies and then these are um, the four pain points that he's trying to solve for. And then these are, um, say, the things that he liked about my product. Now, if I start taking notes while talking to you, there are going to be those awkward pauses and I'm not probably 100% actively listening to you and there are those breaks. Instead, if a conversation intelligence tool can automate this process completely, right? So if it's going to take notes on my behalf and also going to the CRM and updating it, which the salespeople hate to do, you know, True. if that happens, yeah, that's magic. And so... When I first reached out to my CEO, you know, this was not one of those jobs where I, uh, you know, I was reached out to or I applied to. I, I, there was no real opening for marketing director at Avoma when I reached out. I first tried out the product. I loved it. Uh, and I've been observing this company from the outside for almost a year. Uh, because, you know, when you look at my entire career, you can divide it into two parts. Companies where... I went in, I was given a product and uh, I was asked to market that versus this phase where I reached out to somebody because I was truly passionate about this product and the problem that this company is solving for, which is very different from others in the industry, has a unique approach, unique POV. And I have this thing in my head that when you have a unique point of view, you name it, frame it and claim it. You know, once you start doing that, you're like, okay, this is the person I need to talk to. And I went in and I said, Aditya, I like this product and uh, I see that you don't have a marketer on your team. Um, you know, I would like to uh, wear this on my sleeves and uh, do it every day because this is something that I truly, truly believe is a serious problem to solve for. And then, but I asked him, can you uh, give me a demo of the product? Uh, and he took me through a demo and I was sold. I was like, wow, this is where I need to be. This was probably like, uh, you know, Steve Jobs telling the CEO of Coke, that do you want to sell uh, sugar water for the rest of your life? <laughs> you know, it was that kind of a moment. And I wanted to be there. And from there on, you know, because when you look at it, 
as a when you are purely passionate about that particular product or the problem that you are solving for you sleep drink breathe uh, you know think about it all the time and that is what is happening and then i realized that we are not trying to be somebody else we have a unique voice we are doing this and this is how we are solving for it and over a period of time i got excited about it you know even today right now i'm wearing this avoma t-shirt <laughs> on this i know you i know so it's 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 like this is what you want to work with this is this is what people should be like the whole story of how you got involved with avoma like that's how people yeah. should be looking at their career and their job like i love yeah. that like you track this company's process, uh, progress <laughs> and you're like i'm working for you i'm going to figure out how to blow this up and make sure that everybody knows about avoma and and at the same time i was very candid when i spoke to him i said that yeah. um, hey aditya there are certain areas which is not my core skill set if you're expecting that i'm not your guy but these are the things that i bring to the table but i'm willing to uh, also expand to other areas and uh, because i'm a typical startup guy at heart uh, i'm willing to learn these things but all that said um, you know let me know what you think uh, because you know when you look at a startup there are there is one fundamental thing you know uh, many a time what happens is because i have been a founder myself i realize this you know there are certain people who can sound smart on an interview but that does not translate into work right so i was very clear from day one saying that this is who i am and this is who i am not let's let's yeah. put things on the table very clearly and not set the wrong expectations but then because i have been from a startup background i also know that i cannot say things that i'll work only on these things and i won't work on these things you know a startup is a place where you pretty much play uh, every kind of a role you know sometimes i'm probably demoing my product to somebody else sometimes i'm uh, you know running my own ads sometimes i'm creating content or sometimes i'm speaking at a podcast and what not and all of these things fall into place because at the end of the day you know what the vision is and the vision that we spoke about at the organization so aditya was like here's one fundamental thing you know uh, what we are trying to do is today we might be uh, building this product tomorrow it might be something else but what we are trying to do is we are trying to um, you know go ahead and um, automate all the mundane low value tasks that people are not paid for and augment with them on the high value tasks now when you have that kind of a vision you clearly know where you're going and then whatever step the company takes you're going to be on board because it's it's aligned and the most important thing that i really really loved and uh, that's a, that's a important filter for me wherever i go is the value system that the company has so to give you an example of the value system what i mean by that is everybody speaks about transparency and uh, you know certain values and all of that but to give you an example to have a pricing uh, clearly mentioned on your website is one sign of transparency another sign of transparency is that um, you know there are people who believe that hey it's part of my research to go and mystery shop on my competitor and sign up for their product and see how that works fair enough nothing wrong but as a principle here you know the way we think at avoma is that is something that we will never do uh, yes if a customer comes in and says that hey i used xyz product and these are the things that we didn't like and we are going with your product yes that information coming inside as a feedback is welcome but we going in and testing somebody's product with a fake email is a no no for us so values like these are something that really really uh, interested me and i'm like this is the place i need to be very smart and and just to to i want to make this hyper clear for people that um are listening who have never used like a conversational intelligence tool so like at its core 
what you're doing is it's sitting on a Zoom meeting, for example, and it just transcribes absolutely everything. And then you're taking insights out of that. But like for Avoma in particular, that's going a step further than just Gong, which is like the sales conversation. It's it's any conversation and it's so segmenting it based on the team. Yeah, I'll describe it this way. You know, I would say that every meeting, for example, has three parts to its entire life cycle. You know, set of things that you do before the meeting, during the meeting and after the meeting. So what we do before the meeting is set of things like, say, for example, uh, you have a set of templates to prepare uh, what you're going to uh, discuss in a particular call. So when I say templates, it's not a verbatim script as to what I'm going to discuss. But say, if it's a sales call, I'm going to have a set of things like, hey, I need to touch upon their pain points. I need to understand uh, the problems that they're trying to solve for and then uh, their company background a little bit and uh, you know what stage are they uh, are they in in terms of buying like say four or five things that you want to touch on that particular call and um, then the the advantage that you have is you don't need to prepare every single time you know once you have an agenda like say if it's a if it's going to be a job interview i need to touch upon these factors if it's this meeting i i need to touch upon these factors and automatically those templates get applied to the call or meeting um, based on the invite that you send, you know, if I'm going to send out a podcast interview, then that's going to be a different template. Vis-a-vis, uh, I sending out uh, an invite for you to do a discovery call with me, right? So that's one. And then there is the second part of automation that happens before the call is uh, me sending you an automated announcement that this call will be recorded. That's to comply with your uh, GDPR, CCPA, and uh, you know all the compliances, the recording laws around the world, and Finally, there is also a reminder that goes one hour before the call, which helps you avoid any no-shows that happens in the last minute. So yeah, you cannot completely avoid it, but you can minimize that. Then during the meeting, there is this part where um, the entire video call is recorded. Then the transcription also happens. In addition to transcription, there is this one-pager summary notes that the, the AI automatically takes and updates to your CRM. And then the third part that is after the meeting is where this whole conversation intelligence and uh, revenue intelligence comes into the picture, wherein you can set up trackers to understand, uh, hey, how did somebody come into your uh, into your ecosystem, or um, you know, what are the different tools that they use, or who are the people they compare you with, and what are the feature requests that they have. So you can set up anything that you want, and it's based. And the beauty is that when you say conversation intelligence, what it means is it is not based on some attribution that you get from somewhere. It is actually what your customers say. It's captured from that conversation. And then, of course, there is the revenue intelligence part where you understand that, hey, where a particular deal is in, uh, what stage of uh, conversation is it in? Is it in negotiation stage? You know, is it in security check? Or is it just, uh, you know, the demo is done and uh, it's, it's pending the next call or whatever. And at any given point of time, when you go and see this dashboard, you realize that, hey, from this company, there are these three people involved. And from our side, there are these people involved. And the moment you understand that this is the stage where it's getting stuck, you can bring in the right person to get that conversation to the other side, you know, to get deal closed or whatever. And then there are these internal um, loops that you can have within the product as part of the workflow. What I mean by that is, let's say, for example, a customer, there's a customer support issue. You know, somebody comes and tells me, hey, Yag, you know, I was using this product and uh, this did not work. You know, there's this issue. Can you help me fix now, instead of me taking a detailed note and then filing a ticket in my help desk and then asking uh, it getting assigned to somebody and they looking into that, what I can do is in that conversation, 
I can just select that part of the conversation. It becomes a 20 second or 30 second video snippet that I can drop to this engineer on Slack and say that, hey, listen to this. This is what the customer is saying. Can you help fix that? You know, this saves me time from having yet another meeting and explaining them. But it's asynchronous at the same time. He gets the context. I get the context and things are pretty much very quickly fixed. So yeah, there are multiple aspects of it. I don't want to make this an Avoma sales pitch per se, but yeah, no, 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 but it's, it's, I was going to say, it's like an incredible, it's an incredible feedback mechanism. It's it's an incredible feedback mechanism. Okay. So that is why, you know, when we position this, we stopped calling ourselves uh, conversation intelligence. Yeah. Though that's the industry. Um, We position ourselves as a meeting lifecycle assistant. And there is a reason to this, you know, when you have a product that is listening to your call and some sometimes you know you can feel that hey this is some sort of a big brother kind of an effect that somebody is monitoring me all the time but instead of thinking that you know when you say it's a life cycle assistant it's there as your assistant it's taking notes for you it's updating things for you it is helping you in your task that is a whole different point of view that you're giving than saying that hey i'm monitoring your conversation and giving intelligence very smart and and how do you and when you are creating a tool like this, like I know that um, there are obviously competitors in the market, and you even and you even named one previously that are building out uh, competitive solutions. But what is the what is the marketing play? What is the main you know? There's all the regular traditional marketing items that you're taking on between I'm sure content to social to SEO to everything in between. But when you build out something that could be relatively new for uh, say uh, 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 an older executive in a large organization that's never used anything like this before. How do you market it? Is this is this still a blue ocean problem that you're solving for? Is this a, an educational item? Is this something where you're drawing parallels to uh, existing feedback programs and showing sort of like efficacy and and optimization of those programs? What's as you know as marketing director? What's the strategy for taking an early stage SaaS product to market? So generally, the way we look at it is uh, because it's a it's a horizontal solution. Uh, the way we look at it is it's it's need not you know you need not necessarily push it to somebody uh, who doesn't get it. The way it happens is, um, you know, we don't call ICP as our ideal customer profile. You know, internally we talk about it as uh, initial customer profile. What we mean by that? Okay, I like that, uh, <laughs> I like that a lot. It's good. I've never heard mean- that before, but smart. Yeah, what what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, today, a salesperson starts using this, okay, and, um, you know, their their team can start using it completely. And then what happens is over a period of time, um, customer success starts to feel that, hey, this is interesting, I can also use use this and, uh, you know, maybe set up reminders and make sure that uh, I do my regular check in calls and all of that. And then after looking at these people, then the engineering team thinks I can use this for my internal meetings. Or maybe the user research guy thinks that, uh, hey, I can record all my uh, customer conversations to understand, um, you know, what's what's the problem. And here's the larger strategy, right? So what happens is we look at ourselves as an all-in-one solution than a point solution. So when you look at, say, let me give you an example. Say there is there there is a there has been a red ocean when you look at say typically project management tools or productivity tools. Let's say you have the Asanas of the world and uh, you know, you have uh, Notion. And then after, uh, amidst all these uh, billion dollar companies, you had somebody like ClickUp who came in much later. But the beauty of ClickUp is that they were a very much horizontal solution like us. You know, that's the reason that they grew. And 
even internally at Avoma, you know, the way when we started using ClickUp, this was the beauty that we observed. Let's say initially the engineering team was using Jira, you know, for all their uh, status meetings and whatever they are recording. And then uh, the GTM team, where marketing and customer success and your uh, AEs, we were using Asana. And we didn't know what was happening in their world and they didn't know what was happening here. And then there was no clear collaboration except for those, uh, you know, uh, bi-weekly sprint meetings or uh, feedback meetings where we have as the entire team where we talk about, hey, what have we accomplished during the week or, or during that sprint? And then once we got rid of these two tools and uh, brought in ClickUp, we realized that the entire organization can be on one single tool. Yes, it's not going to be the best of breed where you're not going to get all the things that you, all the bells and whistles that, uh, you know, you used to get. But the advantage of using something like this is that the maintenance is easy. The, you know, you're going to get visibility over the entire organization. And also fact of the matter is any tool that you buy, as such, people are always going to be using about only 30% of it or probably, you know, 30 to 40%. So the bells and whistles anyway don't matter. It's, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you don't develop those features. Yes, every tool, uh, you know, develops over a period of time. So that's the logic that we took in. We, we thought that, hey, yes, you know, um, there are some note-taking tools in the market where people take notes using that. But again, they have to update it into a CRM or, you know, they have to export it, have it in their system and then upload into the CRM. And then there is a separate transcription tool which people use uh, to just get transcripts. And then there are these intelligence uh, tools that people use separately to understand revenue intelligence and all of that. So instead of, and then the thing is, instead of using 10 different tools for different parts of the product, like when you think about a meeting, you know, you have Google Meet, you have your notes, you have your CRM, you have, um, you know, um, say from there, you might create a Trello board, like you might be using a set of 10 different tools in the entire process. But what if you could bring all of these things in one roof? And the change that we were trying to make through that is, uh, you know, ensure that there is no context loss between, uh, you know, moving things from one system to the other, making sure that no information is lost in thin hair. Um, and once we got rid of all of these things, we realized that, hey, there is power to collaboration right here by bringing it in one tool. So that became our marketing message, you know. We we said, all in one place, not all over the place. So that's that's the impact that we started to make. So it started with one profile and then expanded to the entire company. And it also directly contributed to our GTM to say that you can land in one place and start expanding to this. And a beautiful way to explain this, even from a product perspective, you know, think of this as a triangle wherein you have the bottom layer, which is the engineering layer, which is broad and adaptable to multiple requests that you will get and the way you need to expand. And from there, the second most layer on top is your product layer, which is focused on delivering and solving for a particular problem. And then the topmost layer, which is the sharpest layer, is your go-to-market, which is going to be super focused at some point. But because you have breadth at the bottom, you have the ability to expand and scale your product in the future and your product marketing and your entire GTM can adapt towards that. Amazing. That was a, that's a that's a okay. So that was a great way to sort of close up on on marketing in general and using Avoma as a pot like a perfect a perfect uh, example of how to properly take a product like that to market. So I, I appreciate that. I wanted to. I always like to do a couple of rapid fire at the end as well for me. Sure. So so I I I didn't mean to copy your format, but I also <laughs> like doing the rapid fire stuff. Um, before I pivot though. Uh, 
any final thoughts on on the future of of marketing on what you're seeing with what you've done with Avoma and where you think marketing is going to be going just some sort of last you know last thought last lessons for people that are listening but then also um, where do people connect with you so all the social links the websites all of that Right. So honestly, um, you know, I will not predict what's going to happen with marketing because, see, nobody predicted COVID. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> that's, right? that's true, too. That's yeah. very true, and, too. And, and the honesty is like, you know, um, when, when you look at uh, pretty much any prediction charts, right? So either people are talking about their wish list or, uh, you know, something that uh, they reflect upon has, as to what has happened in the past and extrapolate things from that. The best thing that we can do as a marketer is um, stay as open as possible and stay as nimble as possible to adapt whatever is coming. And if I have to pass on one key message as a marketer is to say that never plan for uh, more than a month. You know, yeah, it's ideal to say that plan for a quarter, plan for this, plan for that. Yes, you can have the broader plan. It it needs to be, um, you know, a little adjustable. But at any given point of time, you can only um, plan until what you can see. And then you need to adapt when something is happening around you, you know, just see how you can uh, make the most out of that. And where people can connect, um, the easiest place to find me is uh, LinkedIn. Um, so just type Y-A-A-G, YAG, and you don't even have to type my full name, you will be able to find me. And uh, my full name, yagneshwaran.com, that's my website. And uh, the ABM Conversations podcast is my podcast show. And uh, you can also check out Avoma. It's A-V-O-M-A dot com. And if you are a little bit curious about what Avoma means, it's an acronym for a very organized meeting assistant. Oh, smart. Very smart. I didn't know that. That's very yeah. smart. That's good. That's good. Um, okay, perfect. All right, let's do a couple rapid fire. Uh, and then uh, and then we can close it out. Uh, so a couple questions I'd like to go through. Biggest challenge that you've had uh, in your personal or professional life? How did you overcome it? And what, what did you learn from it? Right. So the biggest challenge I, yeah, that was probably, I think, um, a couple of times it happened in my life. Um, you know, um, I was chucked out of the company that I was working for a couple of times in my life. And um, it was a shock because, you know, sometimes you put a lot of value on yourself and you think that, uh, hey, you're doing this. But you also realize that certain times that's not the best place where uh, you were to be and you also honest to yourself, you realize that I didn't do the best. And the both times when I was uh, chucked out, it was because I didn't do the best that I could in that particular job. You know, I didn't perform well. And um, to get into the next job between that, I'm talking about this, you know, once that happened in 2013 and once in 2016. And uh, both these times, what happened was, you know, it took me about three months before I got into the next job. And uh, that gave me a lot of time to look back and realize my priorities and the set of things that, uh, you know, what I was doing right and what I wasn't. And then it helped me to choose something that I'm 100% into. You know, it's, it's not about selling a product for people to buy. It's about you buying into something first so that you do things in a way that is convincing to you. So that is why today I'm able to talk with so much conviction because I'm into a product that I'm working for that I truly, truly believe in. And, uh, you know, even if you wake me up in the middle of the night, I'll be able to give you a good pitch. So um, that's that's something about it. And finally, another, another thing that I can also talk to you about is um, I had a trek uh, in December uh, 2021. I went to the Himalayas, one of the treks that, you know, for the very first time in my life. 
and uh, as a person i'm a bit scared of heights and uh, towards the end of the um, you know end of the summit it was a, a ridge that was you know very uh, narrow and it was really really scary and i went on top of that but living there for a week with people that i didn't even know about i didn't know of and uh, you know all these trekkers we met uh, as part of the community there and then you know we spent the week together and one thing that i realized during that period is that as humans the moment you have adversity uh, it brings out the actual compassion humanity inside of you and uh, we lived a very minimalistic life at that point you know the entire one week there you know i just had one lunch box and one water bottle and i could live with that for an entire week and i realized that why can't i bring this back to my life you know most of the things that i have around me is a luxury that uh, i took for granted and uh, i have to look back and realize that hey there are lots of things that i'm blessed with and i should be thankful about it very very good okay uh next question if you had to choose one person obviously there's been many but pick one person who's had an incredible impact on your life who was that person and what did they teach you say it got it uh without a doubt and really? um, okay good yeah, good very good yeah absolutely and uh this is something that i already told you you know the simplicity and uh, that down to earth stuff without see the the thing that why the reason i don't say humility is because the moment you say you're humble you're thinking that you want to be humble but simplicity is that it's it's who you are you know it you're not trying to be humble you're that's naturally him you know um, there are certain principles that he operates with but at the same time he keeps things in the first principles he is very simple as a human and that is something that i would like to emulate and uh, you know for somebody who has accomplished what he has and he being that i think i can definitely take a leaf out of his life amazing um a book podcast something that you've read or consumed that you'd recommend people go check out two podcasts i love the most one is the knowledge project by uh, shane parish and uh, then again uh, a big fan of the tim ferris show as well and especially episodes with uh, nawal ravikant and episodes with uh, balaji shrinivasan these are uh, some of my favorite episodes that i would you know binge on at any given point of time amazing if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing what would it be um have no regrets if you want to try out something just go and try don't double think uh, just do very good very good okay and last question what does success mean to you um this is a very tough question to answer well success to me is uh, you know basically uh, being happy with yourself you know at the end of the day um it's not materialistic success it's not what you learn or accomplish or anything it's it's about uh, if you can go back to bed every single day thinking that you have not done any harm to anyone and uh, you helped at least one person or uh, you know you you have lived a good person for that particular day that fundamentally is success you know at the end of the day whatever contributes to your peace that is what success is all about I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs for business owners because there's one thing that we all know 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 